The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Are you ready? The showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. Degenerate into something fool. We just got tired of doing what you told us to do. That's a brace, boy. Yeah. Well, you love Sean Michaels or you hate him. It's really irrelevant. He's a magnificent athlete. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Hello and welcome to the Heartbreak Kid Pod, brought to you proudly by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and today we are talking WrestleMania 8, Tito Santana, El Matador, and what could have been. As anyone who has listened to our previous few episodes will know, we are looking at the WrestleMania career of Shawn Michaels in order, show by show, until we run out of WrestleManias, and then we'll probably just pick another pay-per-view and start all over again. Here is the first occasion Shawn works as a singles having split with Marty Jannetty at the Rockers parting ways only only a couple of months previous to this particular pay-per-view. So much has changed in the last 12 months since we saw Sean wrestling at WrestleMania 7 alongside Marty against Haku and the Barbarian. We, I suppose we better address the split. It's a huge deal and how much has gone on with regards to Shawn Michaels' uh, persona, character and so on on screen. A lot of issues between Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty had took place over the course of their careers. Many are, many are familiar with this, if you know anything about Shawn or how self-destructive Mr. Jannetty can be himself. They had various disagreements, arguments, pun- even punch-ups to, uh, with regards to their career and direction and so on. But the, the final straw that broke the camel's back, I guess, with regards to teaming with Jannetty and working as the Rockers, according to, to Shawn Michaels in his book, uh, is to do with a Wheaties box, which I believe is a, a breakfast cereal in the States. A few guys from the WWF were going to have their pictures taken to be on the front of special promotional boxes. The Legion of Doom were there, the Rockers were there, and so on. An incident happened at the shoot where Animal from the Road Warriors declared that he was getting five grand for this photo shoot. Sean and Marty were only getting two and a half grand apiece. So they were both quite upset about this, as you can imagine. Uh, Marty was, again, according to Sean in his book, Marty was very, very upset about this and said that he would be calling Vince. Does Sean stand alongside him with this? Sean said, yeah, I'm with you. It's fine. It needs addressing. Marty apparently went away and called Vince and gave him an ultimatum about wanting more money and so on, not being happy with the shoot and, and whatever. You know, the context of the conversation isn't exactly clear, but either way, he gave Vince an, Vince McMahon an ultimatum. Vince basically said, okay, well, if you want to leave, you can leave. Marty Janetti had explained to Michaels 
that he has contacts down in WCW. The Rock and Roll Express had just finished up there and were moving on. So there was potentially an opening for them. Now, Sean says in interviews in the past, and again in his book here, that he was making around £180,000 a year. He was under the impression, from what Ginetti was explaining to him, that they would be able to get around 150000 a year from WCW. But going up to the 200000 and maybe even more mark with regards to incentives and add-ons as the year would go, would progress. So it didn't seem like too bad a deal for, for the the rockers to go uh to jump ship i suppose and head down south to wcw when marty did make contact with these people he supposedly knew down south um marty Ginetti was spouting off about magnum ta who was quite high up in the wcw management at the time and he was going to be able to get money a contract of a certain amount from from him and so on it turned out that he didn't know these people at all and his contacts were much, uh, shall we say, further down the pecking order, lower on the food chain, I suppose. And they would be able to get them around $70,000 a year, which is obviously a big drop from where they were, you know, over 100000 a year. Sean wasn't very happy about this. In the meantime, Vince had rang Sean to say, I'm sorry to hear that you're leaving. I've spoken with Marty Gennetti. I'm sorry to hear that you're leaving. I think you've got a great future in this business. When you guys are done with the tag team thing, I think you'll make a hell of a heel. Get get hold of me. Get get back in contact with myself, Vince McMahon, and the WWF, and we can definitely work something out with you as a singles. I see you having a great future in this business. Sean, again, according to his autobiography, explained that he didn't want to leave, but he wasn't happy about the payoff with regards to the, the box sponsorship and so on. To which point... Vince said, okay, that's fine. We'll figure something out. And basically, you know, conversations between the three would then carry on. Sean said he's, he's had enough of teaming with Marty. The ultimatum to Vince meant that he could have been out of pocket. And he, Sean put forward the argument or the idea that they should split and go their own separate ways. Now, the angle that everyone's fully aware of, everyone's probably seen this, the, the barbershop, uh, fa the famous barbershop segment where Sean throws Marty Gennetti through the window. Apparently, this was initially going to be uh, something set up between the Rockers and the Nasty Boys, and the Nasty Boys tag team were going to throw the Rockers through the window. Sean said to Vince McMahon, let me do it to Marty, and that can be how we part ways, that can be how we split. And even implored Vince to allow Marty to to blade to get a bit of colour as the terminology may well be to, to basically to get a bit of blood on screen and Vince as we were probably well we will see throughout the duration of Sean's career as we cover these ups and downs throughout this this athlete's um, years as a performer Vince kind of gave Sean what he wanted it tends to be the theme doesn't it with what we know about Sean and Vince and their their lives and their careers and their friendship throughout the decades but there we go Marty Gennetti has always been quite sour and bitter about the split and says that Sean was the bad guy. Sean went behind his back with regards to speaking to Vince and kind of stitched Marty up and left Marty to, you know, basically flounder on his own whilst Sean was being looked after by the high-ups and so on. There may well be some truth to that. There's two sides to every story, of course, and... Gillette could feel a little bit let down, potentially. Uh, in his mind, he did say to Sean, are you with me on this no matter what? 
But then on the other side of the coin, Sean could also argue he wasn't aware that Vince was going to be given an ultimatum by Gennetti. He thought that Gennetti was just going to be ringing up about the payoff for the advert they were doing. So maybe a bit of miscommunication added to this. But at the same time, Sean Michaels has always said that it kind of ran its course because there have been issues in the past. I mean, fist fights in hotels between them and all sorts of stuff. So it is that case of, I think, that the Rockers were done by this point in very early 92. And and the two of them, it seems fairly sadly, I suppose, in a way, as good friends were kind of done. Now, going on from that, regardless of whether Sean did kind of stitch Marty up or whether Marty Gennetti behaved in a way that Sean was unaware of and Sean never really wanted to leave the WWF, it's all kind of irrelevant going forward because they were both still under contract. And they were both very much very talented performers, of course. Uh, Marty was going to be the babyface from this split. And Sean was obviously going to be the heel. And they were going to go into a feud where their matches, I believe, would have been pretty spectacular because they were both very, very good. And and the heat and the, the crowd interest and so on was already there because of the story behind what they were doing. I say it so many times on, on shows like Nitro Nights and Chain Wrestling and so on, give me a reason why these two are fighting. Give me a reason to care about these two fighting. And they had that with the with the tag team split, with the rocker split, the barbershop you know, segment. This was supposed to be leading to WrestleMania 8. Uh, the split aired on television in January of 1992. Shortly before the Rumble, maybe just a week or two before the Royal Rumble. And we were supposed to be getting Gennetti and Michaels at WrestleMania 8 with this big storyline, big payoff, big event. 60,000 people there, which we'll come to very shortly. But Gennetti self-destructed again. And apparently, you know, again, you hear the guy all the time, even now in present day, shoot interviews he does, podcasts he does, ranting on his Facebook, for example. Gennetti always says that Sean stitched him up and Sean cost him his career and Sean's this, Sean's that and and all this sort of stuff. But if you look at the opportunities Gennetti had, he self-destructs. There's all these problems with, 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 with cocaine, with drugs. There's numerous other issues as well. Uh, behavioural problems and so on. He had a WrestleMania 8 match that was going to be one of the hottest storylines going into that pay-per-view, barring maybe Savage and Flair and Sid and Hogan in the main events. It probably would have been the one of the, you know, especially in the undercard, one of the hotter angles going into this. He self-destructs and he he gets done and arrested and has trouble with, with, the, with the law and is fired from the company. When we get to WrestleMania 9 uh, in our next episode, Again, sadly, we're going to be talking about Gennetti and how it should have been something different on the card and Gennetti shot himself in the foot again. Now, this isn't Shawn Michaels causing Gennetti these issues. This is Gennetti himself. So I find it quite difficult listening to Marty Gennetti saying that Shawn cost him this and cost him that and, and being quite bitter in the way he is. When they split, Gennetti had various opportunities to go on and do all sorts of different you know, different roles in the company, different matches, different angles, and just blew them all. And that's down to him personally. That's down to his own choices. You know, addiction, if, if he is that way. Uh, mental health issues, if he is that way. I fully sympathise with all of that, and, you know, it's incredibly sad how it can affect people's lives. But at the same time, you can't turn around and just blame Shawn Michaels for all your shortcomings, which seems to be... I'd say a reoccurring theme with Gennetti. It's not the constant, but it does pop up quite often in various interviews you hear him talk about. But 
there we go. That that's how you know the story of Genetti and Sean kind of parting ways. There, the barbershop segment itself is one of my one of my most favourite and earliest wrestling memories. When when this occurred, I would have been oh ten, yeah, potentially ten, about to turn eleven, and I would have seen it on an episode of uh, Challenge or Superstars or whatever was airing on Sky One back in those days in my uncle's bedroom because he's the only one who had Sky TV and so on around my nan's house, and. I just thought, again, wrong wrong perspective, I suppose, as a young fan. I'm supposed to feel sympathetic towards Gennetti. But I just thought Michaels with the hair and the leather jacket it just looks so cool. And he you know, super kicks Gennetti, throws him through the window and so on. I wasn't booing. I thought it was great. Again, maybe as a young kid, I misunderstood what they were trying to trying to teach me, what they were trying to sort of the direction the WWF were trying to point me in storyline-wise, potentially. But that was just the way it was. A few more changes we see to Sean as an on-screen performer is well, first of all, he's now working as a heel for the first time on on national television that you know we're aware of. He's working as the bad guy because he was always the good guy in the Rockers and the Midnight Rockers and so on. He's a singles guy for the first time going. Uh, but we also see obviously the change in gear. More leather is added to his to his ring gear. More chains and earrings and so on for walking down to the ring. The sunglasses, the cocky swagger that arrogant grin on his face chewing the gum and so on and then there's the addition of sensational sherry martel now sean has stated in various interviews that he didn't want sherry to work with him pat patterson came to sean and said she's just done some interviews she called you her boy toy and so on we think this will be fantastic we think it'll work really well Sean fought against this, said, nope, he wants to be on his own. He's just left a tag team. He should be a singles. He doesn't need a manager and so on. But Pat Patterson apparently insisted that this is what happens. And again, quoting Sean's book, he says that he is so glad to have been wrong about this because working with Sherry, he said, for him was fantastic. He learned so much from her. She was a fantastic performer and also looked after him on occasions with regards to people taking liberties. Sean tells a story about occasions where people wouldn't sell for Sean Michaels in the early days of his singles run. And Sean found it very difficult to get a foothold in this scenario. I mean, ultimately, he's a bit smaller than the other guys. He's uh, just come out of a tag team. Some people may look at him as not being worthy of his spot some people may look at him as being a threat to their spot um sean quotes various people in saying that oh we think you deserve a break kid but just not from me tonight and again you you got you got to think back to these times in professional wrestling with the territory days and then going into the national expansion and the 90s and so on everyone was very careful about protecting their spot on the show their income, their their moment on the card, so to speak. And if you've got a new guy coming in who the management obviously like, that can cause a problem. That could that could rock the boat a little bit for some of the more established guys. Now, if Sherry saw that people were not selling for Sean on the house shows or on the touring circuit with the WWF, apparently, again, according to Michaels, Sherry would yell into the ring, Sean, throw them out here. Sean would throw them out the ring to the floor where Sherry would put the boots to them, rake their back and so on in a very, shall we say, stiff manner, I suppose. To which point the wrestler facing Michaels would then jump back into the ring to get away from Sherry because they were taking a pasting and would work with Sean as opposed to being on the outside and having Sherry kick their ass, which I think is just a wonderful story. Um, Sherry Martel herself, obviously no longer with us. May she rest in peace. Fantastic performer. 
whether you see her with Harlem Heat and others in WCW, whether you see her with the, uh, the Million Dollar Man or Randy Savage or whoever else in the WWF, getting thrown around and beaten up by Hulk Hogan in the late 80s. What a performer. What a talented lady. She was fantastic. Uh, and the fact that Sean cites this time in his career as really learning his way as a singles competitor and saying that he learned so much from Martel herself, I think really, you know, it says a great deal for how much respect this lady should have in the wrestling business. She was she was brilliant. But anyway, we are here to talk WrestleMania 8. Should have been Marty Gennetti, Shawn Michaels. Was not, because Gennetti self-destructed again. And Sean ended up working with El Matador, or Tito Santana, as we may well know, one half of the tag team strike force, uh, former Intercontinental Champion, and so on. Not really in the peak of his career anymore. And Tito Santana has stated again in interviews, he hated this Matador gimmick, absolutely hated it. But obviously, you're getting a payday. It is what it is. Uh, the, the event itself, WrestleMania 8, comes to us from the Hoosier Dome in Indiana, and it's April the 5th, 1992, and with just over 62,000 in attendance. The first thing you notice is the huge, vast size of this place, because it is a dome show, so it's gigantic. Um, and also that then means long entranceway, long entrance aisle to the ring. And we hear for the first time, well, the first time of our look back anyway, Sean's new entrance music. Now, this theme tune, everyone's fully aware of it, it plays at the start of this uh, podcast itself, was sung by Sensational Sherry at this point. She sang the um, initial theme tune itself, and it's, it, I, I love this early version. It, it's great hearing Sherry wail along to the music and so on. It, it, it's fantastic. When Sherry left the company, Vince McMahon himself had to really implore Sean to re-record it with his own vocals, and he wasn't happy at all. But Jimmy Hart said he would help him, and Jimmy Hart is obviously very musically talented and wrote a great deal of music for WCW and so on. Apparently, on the Shawn Michaels version, which we will get to at a later date when, when Sherry leaves the company and so on, it's Jimmy Hart doing the backing vocals in his best girly voice, which kind of tickled me a little bit when I found that out, but there we go. But yes, yeah, so there we go. We see Sean in all his splendor with I'm Too Sexy for This World written on the back of his white leather jacket. Uh, he's donned in white gear with red trim and so on. Looking pretty bloody fantastic, to be fair. Really, like he looks like a star at this point. The crowd love Tito Santana here. Absolutely love him. And we begin with uh, El Matador hitting a crossbody and then grabbing Sean into a headlock, uh, you know, a headlock takedown and so on. Before Sean is sent to the outside from, from a shoulder barge and the crowd are popping for everything Tito Santana is doing. Um, when Sean gets back into the ring, we're back to the headlock again. Now, I've got two trains of thought with this because this also occurs the other way round. Sean has uh, a tendency to apply a chin lock on Tito Santana in this match quite often. I've got two trains of thought on this. One... As a viewer, as somebody watching the match, if you go to the well too often with the same rest hold, it can get a bit repetitive, it can get a bit boring, and this borders upon that. This approaches that level with regards to how much El Matador went back to that headlock spot. But on the other side of the coin, from a kayfabe standpoint, I suppose, you've got that, that aspect of what if it's working and you've got a game plan as a professional wrestler you know, supposedly in this real-life sporting contest, why would you deviate from that game plan if it's working? So it depends on... The, I suppose it's getting the balance right, isn't it? Entertaining the crowd, but also making it seem as realistic as possible. 
But there we go. This is borderline going too far, but it, it is what it is. The headlock spot, as I said, lasts for quite a long time. Um, it breaks quite often, but we also go back to the headlock again um, before Sean eventually sends Tito de Santana flying over the top rope and takes control of the match himself for a while. Uh, Sean hits a pretty vicious looking backbreaker, goes into the chin lock that I previously mentioned and holds that for a while. Um, when Tito fights up from the chin lock and they break, they run the ropes and Tito bounces off the ropes and heads towards Sean when Sean hits what is basically a super kick, the sweet chin music as we know it now. And it's referred to by Gorilla Monsoon on commentary as a reverse crescent kick. Um, which is quite interesting to hear. But it looked fantastic. Again, Sean's superkick is one of the best out there. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. This leads to an exchange of punches before Tito Santana hits his flying forearm finisher, which I thought always looked really good. Considering it's just a, a run run from the ropes, jump, jump in the air and nail someone to a forearm, I always thought it looked pretty spectacular when Santana used to do this. Uh, this, though, sends Michaels to the outside again, so Tito Santana can't make the cover, which must have been quite frustrating. Uh, Sean gets back into the ring and we then get treated to a bit of the, I suppose, I suppose what sets Sean apart quite often is, is his selling. When he's not being ridiculous with Hogan that one year in SummerSlam apart. I mean, we're in no doubt going to come to that in future weeks and months. But Sean, the selling, the bumping around, the making his opponent look good is something that really works for, for Michaels, I believe. And here we see early stages of that as a singles wrestler. Uh, Tito Santana punches Sean in the gut, in the midsection, as Grilla Monsoon shites, and Sean sells that. He bends over to allow Santana to hit a knee lift, and Sean flies up in the air, before getting caught and hit with an atomic drop, to which Michaels jumps and half pirouettes out of before landing on the deck, making his opponent look incredibly strong and powerful. Really, really good stuff for Michaels there. Um, Santana goes for his flying forearm finisher again, uh, but again, Sean rolls outside the ring from from the getting hit by the move, which is you know handy for him, I suppose. Santana gets him on the apron, tries to scoop him up for a body slam to bring him into the ring over the top rope. Michaels grabs the top rope, shakes about a little bit. Santana falls, and Michaels cups a handful of uh, tights to to get the win. So there we go. Um, again, Michaels in the opener of WrestleMania for the second year running. It did, its, it did its job. Again, similar to how we spoke about the Rockers on last week's episode, opening WrestleMania 7. It got the crowd going. It got them on their feet. Michaels picked up the win, which furthers his career. They're talking about him facing off against the winner of the Intercontinental title match coming up later in the card, which will actually happen. Um, Bret Hart would win the Intercontinental Championship from Rowdy Waddy Piper later on on this event. Sean would wrestle him on house shows and so on, including the very first ladder match in the WWF. But we'll talk about that on another occasion. Uh, and the plan was always as well for Sean to go on to SummerSlam in August and pick up the Intercontinental title. That changed when the Bulldog was then scheduled to win it with the, with the match being in London, which of course made sense. Sean winning the title was held off until the following October, where he picked it up off the Bulldog, and Brett went on to win the world title. And by the end of the year, Sean was main eventing Survivor Series of 1992 against Bret Hart for the WWF title. I mean, a little bit of a foreshadowing there for what happens five years later, I guess. But again, we'll come to that on another show. Um, after the match, 
Michaels does a bit of a pose, a little bit of a, a strut, the, the cocky arrogantness, I guess. And he throws Sherry down to the mat. And she looks up like she actually kind of enjoys it. And it's those little touches I think Martel bought to Michael's persona, character, performance at this time that really helps set the cocky, nasty, up himself, loves himself, bad guy character that Shawn Michaels was trying to portray. I think it really helped develop that with, with Sherry Martel. And she's probably the star for this for me. Um, Bobby Heenan on commentary is saying that this guy here is going to wear gold. He's going to represent the WWF by wearing the gold and calls him, he is the star of the 90s. He is the future. Which, I guess in hindsight, looking back, Bobby the Brain, 100% correct. With regards to my rating out of 10 for this one, I'd probably give this the same as last week, a 6 out of 10. It was good. Nothing they did was shoddy or crap or, or, or you know, rough around the edges or anything like that. Everything looked good. Everything was crisp. It was a bit slow in places with the headlock and the chin lock spots and so on. But I understand why it was there and why it was done. And it, it still worked. It was just a bit slower than maybe what I wanted to see. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a match with no real story and it's kind of cold. Obviously, this is Gennetti's, you know, fault because he should have been in this role against Michaels. Uh... That's a good opener. The crowd hated Sean, loved Tito Santana. Michaels picks up a win and moves on to something new. Six out of ten, I think, is is fair enough. But if anything, this is probably better than I remember it being. I've not watched this match for quite a while. And I've, I remember the headlock spots and the chinlock spots, but I thought they dominated this match far more than they actually did. So maybe that's a positive for this contest with regards to the watchback I've done for it today. I don't know. But there we go. Six out of ten. And Sean opens his second WrestleMania in a row. Next time on the HBK podcast, we will be looking at the third time Sean opens WrestleMania. And that's at WrestleMania 9, Outdoors, Toga Party, the arrival of Jim Ross, Tatanka, and Sherry dressed in some kind of weird Native American garb. Oh, and Luna Vachon turns up. So a bit different there. But there we go. Next time, WrestleMania 9 versus Tatonka. Uh, thank you so, so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this, by all means, go and follow the network that carries this show. That's at SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and everywhere else. Because there's so many other great, fantastic shows that the network carries. Some involving me looking at pro wrestling, looking at Doctor Who, and so on. Some involving others looking at professional football, more wrestling, and all, all sorts going on. Absolutely brilliant stuff there. And also, if you're interested, you can follow myself on my own personal account on Twitter. That's at SJP Words. I suppose then that's it for this episode of the HBK Pod. I look forward to you joining me next time for WrestleMania 9. And as always... Thank you for listening.